Welcome to Radical Simple Living, episode 15. And if you've listened to the 14 previous podcasts, I'm going to give you a very well done. You are a a pretty devoted listener there, which is wonderful. If you haven't, you can go back and catch up on them and then, you know, tell me and I'll tell you how a devoted listener you are and give you all kinds of praise. Now, um, today I'm talking to you in the morning. It's uh, just after eight o'clock. Now I've done all my early morning tasks. The reason I'm talking to you now is A, because it's snowing outside and what I plan to do, I'm, I'm unable to do. And I've got some nice indoor jobs to do later on today. I shall be baking some sourdough bread as soon as I finish recording this. And I shall be sowing some seeds because here in the Northern Hemisphere, it is close to indoor seed sowing time. Here's in Sweden. I know in some parts of the Northern Hemisphere, people are already well advanced on that, but it doesn't do here to do things too early because then you're left with trays and trays of seeds and nothing to do with them. And I know that a good number of my listeners are in the Southern Hemisphere and they're enjoying summer at the moment, uh, be it late summer, and I, I hope that's going well and I hope you are making the most of that. Now, you will be aware so far that there are two different aspects to the kind of radical, simple living that I'm proposing in these podcasts. And I am proposing it because at the end of the day, you are entirely free to accept or reject any of the ideas that I uh, put forward to you. Uh, It's your life. You do what you want. All I'm doing is giving you some possible directions of travel and some things you might like to consider and some things you might like to think about. But there are two aspects of it. One is radical, simple living in however you interpret that I want to do it. It's got to be a practical thing. Now, some of you I know are wonderfully skilled people who can do all sorts of things and make a success of them. And others of you are uh, less competent with practical things. Well, the answer is, uh, to those of you that have worries, is you can get better. You do need to learn. Uh, Radical, simple living lifestyle is one in which you never stop learning. Even into your 90s, you're still learning how to do things. I'm learning how to do things every day. I learn how to do things better every day. I learn to do some things every day that I've never been able to do before. Some of these things are easy and some of these things are incredibly difficult. That's the way of life. So being a practical person or working hard at becoming a more practical person is a basic part of simple living. The other part of it, the other side of the coin, if you like, if you if you like that uh, uh, analogy, is to be a very philosophical person. Because being a simple living person, working hard and doing all sorts of things doesn't count for much unless it's helping you develop a sort of life approach that is good for you. Now, remember, your life approach is yours. I I can tell you about my life if you're interested, but the most important thing is your life. Yeah, I have my political views. I have my spiritual views. Chances are they're not the same as yours. I don't know. That doesn't matter. You've got to incorporate your life and your uh, opinions and your preferences into the kind of life you lead. 
And that's really what we're going to do today. We're going to be talking about joining up the dots of our life to give a complete picture. Not for anyone else, but for ourselves. So when you wake up in the morning, you can think to yourself, right, this is the kind of person I am, and this is what I'm doing, and this is where I'm going. And when you go to bed at night, you can lay down in the dark and you can think, am I succeeding in what I'm setting out to do in my own terms? Now, that might not be an, a wonderful to-do list of all kinds of complicated things. It might be, have I succeeded in living today in the way that I choose to live? Have I succeeded in choosing to live in a certain way and actually managing it? Now, um, those things are difficult. And as we said in an earlier podcast, this little, this little line, you can't move forward unless you know which direction you're heading in. It's all very good to think of, of thrust forward and I will do these things and I'll push away today. But if you don't know what you're pushing for and you don't know which direction you're going in and you don't know what your long-term aims are, you could be pushing one way one day and the other day the next day. You've got to have it clear in your mind what you're aiming for. I know what I'm aiming for. I just hit the mic with my hand because while I'm talking to you, I'm waving my hands around here in wild gesticulation. I don't know why, um, but I am, and I just hit the mic. I'm sorry for that. Um, okay, you can't move forward unless you know the direction you're heading in. Now, some people have a kind of lifestyle, or say they have a kind of lifestyle, but they're not actually living the lifestyle they say they're living. Some people... Um, like to paint a portrait of themselves for public approval, which isn't the same as the lifestyle they're doing. Now, we all do this to some extent. We all present the best bits of our lives to other people. We don't show them the worst bits. We don't. If you bake a cake, <coughs> excuse me, you do not um, usually put up a picture of a complete disaster of a cake. You might occasionally to raise a few laughs on social media I'm talking about. That's not generally what you do. Generally, you want to have a nice picture of a cake going up there. So you tend not to put up your mistakes. If you put up lots of things and talk to people about childcare and, and what a, a, a good parent you are, there will be times when as a parent, you don't quite match your own standards. There will be times when you're tired and when you lose the plot a little bit and say, no, stop doing that now. And you, you, you don't present the normal way that you want to be presented to the world, to yourself. Now, that's OK. We all do that. You know why? Because we're, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes and we all get things wrong. But some people deliberately go out of their way to present a picture of themselves which is untrue. And we have a word for that. We call it hypocrisy. Now, hypocrisy is too strong a word for if you're presenting the best of your life on social media. That's not hypocrisy. That's just you being a normal human being. But some people are hypocrites. We all know, don't we, people in public life who claim to be doing one thing but are actually doing another. They claim to be part of a, a, a happy family life where actually they're life is a little bit more complex than that and they're not being entirely honest. There was a case in Britain last year and I'm, I'm not interested in sport 
in any way whatsoever. You may be, and I'm not knocking sport, but I personally don't have any interest in it. But there was a cricketer, and this cricketer was from Pakistan, and he was a Muslim. So he had two issues that might be a problem for him in terms of discrimination. One, that he's South Asian, and the second one, that he's a Muslim. And this was at a time when lots of problems with, with, with militant Muslims in parts of the world were uh, taking place. And quite unfairly, ordinary Muslims tried to get on with their everyday life were being um, blamed for this in some way. And he, he was a cricketer and he gave lots of examples. I'm not deliberately not saying his name. I seriously don't remember if I ever did remember what his name was. But he gave various examples about how he was being racially discriminated against his cricket club, not only by other players, but by supporters and by the management of that cricket club. And he gave all kinds of examples and he in, engaged with the public on television interviews and social media. And they gave him an enormous amount of sympathy because, well, I said earlier, you have your own political views and we all have ours. Racism is wrong. Islamophobia is wrong because this is a form of you saying you're better than other people. And of course, simple living means you're not better than other people. You are the same. So he did get a big amount of public support and sympathy for the cases that he was talking about of racial discrimination and religious discrimination against him. But then a rather zealous reporter for a newspaper went back and read through his Twitter feed and he went back about 18 months, two years and found an example of this cricketer making anti-Semitic comments on Twitter. Now, all of a sudden, that changed the playing field because the man who was uh, accusing other people of racism was himself being a racist by making anti-Jewish comments on Twitter. And that is hypocrisy. That's the only name. And of course, what happened to him then was that public support and the limelight disappeared and nobody really paid a lot of attention to what he was saying after that unfairly because I'm sure he was being discriminated against but by his act to discriminate against other people he had spoiled his argument and he'd ruined his reputation. Now you, I don't know, may not be in the public eye so you don't have the opportunity to do this and I'm not talking about hypocrisy, we can all think of politicians who say one thing and do another. Yeah, I can see big bubbles appearing over people's heads with pictures of politicians in at this point and we could all be hypocrites ourselves but being a hypocrite means lying to somebody else because you're doing something that you're saying you're not doing and there's two subtle differences there one what you can be hypocritical about might be quite harmless but it's the act of being a hypocrite that's your biggest crime. Take the man, for instance, who tells his wife that he's walking to work every day to keep fit and lose some weight because that's something he needs to do to keep fit. So every morning he kisses his wife goodbye and his children and they go off to their jobs or their school in the car and he starts walking. Fine. But when he gets around the corner... He knocks at the door of a co-worker who gives him a lift to work. 
Now, notice that's one kind of hypocrisy. He is, is telling his family one thing and doing something different. That's his crime. There's nothing actually wrong with getting a lift to work. So in his case, it's not what he's doing that was absolutely wrong, but what he was saying about what he was doing was wrong. So if you think there may be elements in your life that you're being hypocritical about, decide uh, if you're doing something bad and lying about it to, to protect your reputation, or if you're doing something fairly harmless, which you're lying about to create an image of yourself, which isn't exactly true. You can see the difference there. It's quite subtle. Now, I'm not really talking about hypocrisy when you lie to other people today. That's for you to sort out in your life. What I'm talking about is you lying to yourself. You thinking and saying and doing one thing while knowing you're not actually doing it. Now, these are difficult things and I don't intend to go into lots of examples of what you might be doing that you shouldn't be doing or what you're telling yourself you are when you know you're not. But there could be all kinds of things there. You could say to yourself, oh, you know, I'm a very good neighbour while deliberately not being a good neighbour to somebody because you don't like them. You could be saying, oh, I'm following this diet when we know that you're not following that diet or you know you're not following this diet, you're doing something different. These little things are little. But if you're doing that in lots of aspects of your life, then you've got a problem because you're not joining up all the dots in your life. If you can remember when you were at school, you might still be at school. I might have some listeners here who are still at school. And if so, that, that's fine. And, and, and write and let me know. But if school days were in the past for you, you must know that you developed two separate personalities when you were at school. I say two, maybe three, four, five. You had a way of talking and a way of behaving in front of your friends. And you had a different way of acting and behaving in front of your parents. Maybe your life was more complicated than that and you had one group of friends that you behaved in one way in front of and another group of friends that you behaved completely differently in front of. Now, I don't see that as a problem because we all have to grow up and we all get ourselves into those positions. I have no, I was a teacher of many years and I knew children had a different accent when they were talking with their friends and the one they had when they were talking to their parents when I saw them together. You may have done that, your children may do it, it's not a problem. I do think it becomes a problem if we carry this into our adult life. If we behave incredibly differently in front of different groups of people. And that in itself is something you want to think about. Have I gone into my adult life at the same time as having some of these issues uh, that I had in my childhood? And I still talk with my work colleagues in a different way. I talk to my family. I so there's some of that going on because there will be different terminologies and there will be a different social setup. But if you're presenting yourself as a very different person to one group of people than you are to another group of people, then that's not making life simple. That's making life really complicated. And you need to do something about it. And that's the main issue about today's podcast is how can you join up those dots? 
and how can you make your life complete? And one of the things it often comes down to is you've got to be brutally honest with yourself. If I'm telling my friends I'm teetotal and I don't drink alcohol, and if I have a beer after work with a colleague, neither of those things is wrong, but you can't be both of them. You can't be somebody that doesn't drink alcohol and somebody that does drink alcohol. This is something you've got to solve and you've got to decide. Either I'm somebody that doesn't drink alcohol or I'm somebody that occasionally drinks alcohol. And then you've got to be honest with different aspects of the people you know and let them know that's what you're all about. It makes your life more simple. It makes your life easier. So that is what joining up the dots is all about. Getting these different approaches, different philosophical positions, different behavioural positions in your life and making your life more simple by trying to line them up one with another. I've got to stop now to let a cold cat in. It's snowing outside and one of my cats is a rugged outdoor cat, but he's decided to come in and sit by the fire for a bit. I'll be back. Okay, now I'm going to use a kind of thought experiment here and tell you a little bit about how you can do this and tell you about how I've done this in my life. Okay, now some of you uh, are woodworkers. If you're not woodworkers, you would have seen people doing woodwork. There's lots and lots of videos on YouTube which show people starting off with something fairly unpromising, a bit of salvaged wood or some old pallets or something like that and turning them into a magnificent piece of furniture that anyone would want in their home. Okay, now notice what they do to those bits of wood is, first of all, they have a vision in their head. Maybe they don't put it down on paper, but in their head, they have a vision of what they want to make and they're clever enough and experienced enough and skilled enough to be able to convert the raw materials into that final product. That's quite wonderful to see. I'm a sort of hammer and nails carpenter myself, but my grandfather was a cabinet maker and I know how wonderful carpentry is as a way of creating things. Some of you are dressmakers or clothing makers. I don't, the word dressmaking is a bit of a misnomer, isn't it? Because that goes back to the time when it was primarily only women that did it and the only thing women wore were dresses. We know in the modern world, um, anybody can make their own clothing and you can make all sorts of things, not just dresses. So we're stuck with the term for historical reasons, but it, it's, it's much broader than it sounds like for those of you that don't do it. Dressmaking can be making clothing or household linens or anything. Now, if you, if you are making an item of clothing, you will know that you start off with fabric, you start off with a sewing pattern, either one you've designed yourself or one somebody else has made, which to those of us that don't do it just looks like a mass of tissue paper in an envelope. And you have pins and you pin the patterns to the fabric and cut it. So you need scissors, you may need tailor's chalk to mark it. You may need needles and threads and you might employ technology. You might have a sewing machine. Um, you will need an iron at some point in the process too. All of these things, you've got to have the vision and you've got to have the ability. I just tap that microphone again. I'm going to sit on my hands. That's what I'll do. There we go. Um, it's like my, in primary school I had to do that too. You may have 
the skill and knowledge to take that pattern and that fabric and those pins and needles and threads and the iron and the sewing machine and use them all to make a piece of clothing that will be wonderful and you'll be able to wear it or a member of your family will be able to wear it or a friend will be able to wear it and it'll be an act of creation. Now some of you if you live in the right part of the world, we'll see people making dry stone walls. And if you've never seen anyone make a dry stone wall, the wood dry has to go because a stone wall might be put together with cement holding the stones in place. But a dry stone wall, all the stones have to be placed so they sort of interlock in some way and hold together. And they can hold together for thousands of years. They, they need repair in places maybe, but the bulk of them will stay together forever effectively because it's gravity holding them together. Now if you watch somebody making a dry stone wall, there's some YouTube videos where you can see that, it's an incredible thing because you see the, the wall builder pick up a stone and look at it and put it one side and then pick up another stone. And what they're doing is they're planning and mapping it all out in their head and then they're able to put it together. And that's wonderful. And again, it's skill. It doesn't come overnight. You need to be taught to do these things. And if you are taught, being taught things is wonderful. And if somebody's prepared to teach you how to do these things, that's right. Notice you've got to have the woodwork, the fabric. You need three things. You've got to have the right materials to start with. You've got to have the energy and drive and want to put these things into whatever you're creating. You've got to have skills and you've got to have a plan. Now, we're talking about putting your life together, putting your radically simple life together. And again, you need the right materials, you need energy drive, you need a plan, and you need some skills. What materials have you got? Well, you were born and when you were born, you carried some genetic information which has turned you into the person you have. It's decided, for instance, um, uh, your 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 biological sex it's decided your hair color your eye color your skin color all of those things are determined before you're born lots of other things that we don't know about you know your your attitudes your your mindset all of those things might have genetic components if not being entirely genetic we've also got the um effect of our upbringing which again we can't go back and change we may have had very happy childhoods where everything worked out we may have lost our parents uh, very early in life. We may have come from broken homes. We may have had, had, had childhoods where we were abused. We may have had childhoods where we were just not very happy and we had a fairly miserable time being a child. Whatever has happened to you in the past, that's part of the raw materials that is going to build your life. You can't change those raw materials. You've got them. You know, the, the, the man building the stone wall can't say, I wish I had a stone which just looked like this. He's got to use the stones that are available to him. And your childhood, however bad or good it was, is going to provide you with some of the materials to build your perfect life. OK. Now, somehow you've got to get these materials together and put them together to compose the life that you want to live now, today, from today onwards, the kind of life you want to live. You've got to get all these materials together and do it. And I'm going to suggest to you 
not anything too complicated. I'm going to suggest something very simple. You need to make a quilt of your life. Now, this isn't a new idea. There's been a couple of books written about this. But normally what the books do when they say that is you need to make an Amish quilt. You have to have all the bits and you have to make some wonderful pattern. And when you have it, it looks very beautiful and you're happy with it and all those things. I'm suggesting your world, your life is probably going to be like mine, an extremely messy patchwork quilt with different bits of fabric, the different experiences and skills and the lives that you've led. And you have somehow got to put them together to make a patchwork quilt. And unlike a wonderful Amish quilt, my quilt of my life is made up of oddly shaped bits of fabric. And some of the bits of fabric are brightly coloured and some of them have designs on and some of them are plain, even dull bits of fabric. We can't help it. Those are the materials we've got to work with. And while some of the stitching is neat and good, an awful lot of the stitching is very messy. <laughs> it wouldn't stand up scrutiny. But if my quilt, when I sew it together with all these different components, can keep me warm at night, I've succeeded. Okay, if my quilt serves its function of protecting me, it serves the function of keeping out the cold and the damp and helping me sleep, that's good. So if all the components of your life are going to help you live your life in these very trying and difficult times, then it's going to be a good quilt and you're fine with it. Now, um, what fabric have you got? Well, all the experiences of your life, your fabric might be bits of your own, the, your favourite T-shirt when you're a child. It might be bits of the clothes you used to wear to school. It might be uh, a coat that was worn by a family member that you loved and has lost. You might have all these components and you can build them together and make your quilt out of it. The important thing is they're all joined together. Notice a quilt which isn't joined together is just a pile of old rags. Your life is more important than that. Your life can't be a pile of old rags. It's got to be sewn together. It's got to be something complete and whole and beautiful, even if it's made out of old bits of fabric, even if the bits aren't even. It's your life. It's good. It's wonderful. And it's going to serve you all the way through the rest of your life. And when people come and look at you and people come and look at your life and what you're doing and how you're living it, are they going to see a handmade, flawed, artisan type quilt and recognise it for what it is? And they can see that the fabric doesn't match. They can see that the colours aren't all the same. They can see there's no overall pattern, but they can see something that's whole and useful and good and designed for purpose. If people have a look and see a pile of old rags, that's the assumption they're going to make. So how do you go about sewing this quilt together? Well, the first thing you get is just like the man building a, I say it's a man, it could be a woman, building your dry stone wall. And do try and look at a YouTuber that if you don't know what it entails. You have to pick up each stone in turn and accept it or reject it. 
Now, you can't reject those things you were born with. You can't reject your past. You can't reject where you are unless you're happy to move. But you can't, you can't reject everything. Some of the things you've got to use because those are the only things you've got. But other things, if it's something doing in your life that you don't want to be doing, if it's something you don't feel at ease with and you think you shouldn't be doing it, cast that stone aside. Cast that bit of fabric into the recycling bin and get on with sewing together that quilt out of the things that you have and the things that you have become. Weave them together and turn them into, into a quilt. Many years ago, I wrote a blog post about a hedge being a similar thing with all the component bits of the hedge. That's very limited to people that know who live in a country where hedges are important and hedges have been there for hundreds of years, like in Wales where I was living at the time. But a quilt we can all imagine and we can all work at. Now, before I, I, I end today, I want to tell you that on social media, I get comments from people. And sometimes those comments are good and sometimes those comments are quite dismissive. But last week I had a comment from a woman who went on to block me, which is fine. Not because I said anything rude, it's simply because I held an opinion that she didn't. But I put up a quote um, about people growing their own vegetables. And she came back with a statement that said, uh, whoever wrote this must be a millionaire. Ordinary people can't grow their own vegetables. Ordinary people can't live this kind of life. It's just a toy thing for rich people while the rest of us have to go on with doing what we do. And she then went on to say she had a garden, but she couldn't grow any vegetables in it because they never worked. And she said the majority of people in the world live in conditions where they can't grow vegetables. And I, I took her to task a little bit because I said, well, I understand what you're saying and growing vegetables isn't easy. But an awful lot of people do it. And these people aren't rich millionaires. When I grew up in South London uh, as a boy in, in not a, a rich part of South London, a fairly working class bit of South London, lots of people grew their own vegetables. Lots of people had allotments, men who worked all week um, as builders, worked in a factory, worked on people's roofs, did hardcore manual work. At the weekend, would go and work on their allotment and grow vegetables. They weren't rich. She wasn't having any of it. She was convinced I was a millionaire. Just in case she's listening. No, I'm not. <laughs> OK. Hope to uh, talk to you again soon. Uh, do look back at the past catalogue of podcasts and they're all there. And the titles or descriptions underneath give you a fairly good clue about what they're, they're, they're covering. Next podcast will be in a few days' time and I'll cover something intensely practical after all this theory. Do let me have any comments. Wherever you listen to this podcast, do like it and do subscribe, please. It's been nice talking with you. Bye for now.